Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. Here at Bluegrass Community Foundation, we believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind the show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 p.m. to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. The Good Giving Challenge is finally here. If you don't know what that is, the Good Giving Challenge is an annual week-long online giving event that rallies the community in support of our local nonprofits. And this year, 2021, is the 11th annual Good Giving Challenge, which will kick off on Giving Tuesday, November 30th, and run through Monday, December 6th. This is our biggest year ever with 179 nonprofits who are participating. So we want you to come out and show your support at bggives.org and then mark your calendar for Giving Tuesday so you can get ready to give. So for the next upcoming episodes, we are going to interview several nonprofits who are involved with the Good Giving Challenge and just allow them to share their stories. So stay tuned and continue listening because we have four awesome nonprofits on this episode who are ready to share about the life-changing work that they are doing in our community. Stay tuned. Laura Clum is here with us today, and she is the Vice President of Philanthropy at Bluegrass Care Navigators. She has a lot of awesome things to tell us about the great work they're doing within our community. So welcome, Laura, to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I want to know more about the mission of Bluegrass Care Navigators and the programming you do. I've been to your building, and it is a beautiful building off of Harrodsburg Road. It's truly awesome. So go into the mission and the programming you do out of this awesome building. Sure. Well, we are best known for our hospice programming at Bluegrass Care Navigators. Our name was formerly Hospice of the Bluegrass. That changed in 2017 to Bluegrass Care Navigators because we do so much more than just hospice. Um, Our hospice care is the center of what we do, but we provide so much to the community through our grief care programming, um, our palliative care, our Bright Path program, which is a palliative care program for children living with um, serious illness. Um, We have a grant-funded dementia program where we work with caregivers and individuals living with dementia and help them um, learn how to care for their loved one. Um, And then we have a transitional care program that is fantastic that helps patients from birth to any age who have had a hospital stay with certain conditions transition home and get the care they need um, from our nursing staff at home for a time so that they're not readmitted to hospitals. And um, one really cool program within that is we have a a, um, medical respite program for homeless persons. And so that program um, helps those who don't have a home to go uh, from the hospital and return to um, with a respite program, stay in a local hotel, get them healthy and back on their feet and help connect them with community resources. We do so much in addition to our wonderful hospice care. Yeah, I was researching your organization earlier and I saw where you were doing a campaign called Hashtag My Why. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really appropriate because we love to talk about the why behind things here at BGCF too. So why is Bluegrass Care Navigators an asset to our community? Why is it important? Well, I think it's important because because we serve anyone who needs us, uh, who is dealing with a seriously ill family. And if we, a family member or a loved one who's seriously ill, and if we can't provide that service ourselves, we're gonna be connecting them um, with someone in the community who can. So I think, um, you know, one, we just really provide support 
support to the community that maybe isn't there in other ways at a time of life when loved ones and families are dealing with a, a crisis in their home with a, with a seriously ill family member or loved one. Um, and I think that, you know, it's important to know that no one's ever turned away from BCN due to an inability to pay or due to a lack of insurance. Um, that's never going to be a reason that we can't serve someone. And so I think that's really an important service for our community as well. Your organization includes <laughs> comfort, quality of life, and peace of mind. I know there are so many individuals and families who walk through your organization and are better because of it. And in a health sense and in an overall sense, you know. So can you share with us a story from your time at Bluegrass Care Navigators that demonstrates this power? Yeah, so we, I think so many stories come to mind, but one of them is recently we had a family um, and uh, the great grandparents parent of a young child was in our hospice program. And um, this gentleman and his great-grandson were very, very close. Um, and he was quickly declining, the great-grandfather, with his health and, and his end of life was coming very near. And so our art therapy program was able to go in and work with the family and gather um, one of the shirts that the great-grandfather had worn in a particularly beloved photo of him and the little great-grandson. Um, and they took that shirt and were able to create in, it into a bear that then the great-grandson could have to remember his great-grandfather for. And I think that's just such a perfect example of us making sure that we meet the family's needs much beyond the, the medical care and the nursing care and the wonderful uh, CNAs that go in and help the patient, but we're able to help the family grieve and deal with the loss and um, really go that extra mile to make sure we're meeting all the family members' needs at the time as well. Um, the whole point of us talking today is because of the Good Giving Challenge. It is really getting close here. It's crazy, but we're very excited for all the nonprofits involved in you all are participating nonprofit this year. And what are you most excited for with the Good Giving Challenge? I know you all have been involved for several years in a row. And what's going to make this year different or more exciting? And also, why should people give to you? Well, we love the Good Giving Challenge. We've actually participated every single year since it was founded, and we think it's such a great way to inspire community giving, not just to Bluegrass Care Navigators, but to all charities in our, in our local community. Um, there are so many good organizations doing good things, um, and we are so grateful to our community for really rallying behind us through the Good Giving Challenge every year. Um, we're excited to share some stories this year um, and some photos and quotes from some of our families and just different ways to share how our donors through the Good Giving Challenge really make an impact on the lives of their, their community neighbors. I would love to ask this last question to end the segment, just because I feel like there's always more to an organization that can be told through a firsthand experience, which is you. And is there any last piece of insight that you would like to leave people with about Bluegrass Care Navigators? Something I didn't ask you, something that you wanna just leave people with for a last note, so to speak, for this interview. Um, I just say that the Bluegrass Care Navigators um, is hospice and, and people shouldn't be afraid of hospice because we're there to really help them and their loved ones transition at the end of life um, and make it really a, a wonderful experience for the family to be able to say goodbye to their loved one. But also we're here to do so much more than hospice. And so reach out to us if you've got a seriously ill family member and let us see how we can help you, um, help you through the crisis in your lives right now. Shout out or your website, your social media, anything like that. I want people to come to your services. <laughs> well, the, the way to dive deep is to go to our website, obviously, and that's www.bgcarenav.org. 
It's bgcarenav, all one word, nav.org. Um, and other than that, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on all the social media sites. So you can certainly find us and, and follow along with some of our stories and activities that way as well. Well, Laura, thank you so much. And the Bluegrass Care Navigators are doing great work for the health, the sense of health and also an overall health in our community. And so thank you so much for your services. And we hope everyone goes and checks you out on bgkids.org and gets ready for the Good Giving Challenge, November 30th through December 6th. Thank you so much. Thank you. We are thrilled to meet with our next guest, Deborah Jackson, the Executive Director of Legacy Greenscapes. Hello, Deborah. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Awesome. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. So tell me more about Legacy Greenscapes, its mission, and your programming. Well, Legacy Greenscapes, um, we're a small nonprofit in Winchester, Kentucky, and we are responsible for maintaining and programming the 30-acre park, Legacy Grove Park. It's a brand new nonprofit run and managed park in our community. It's the first of its kind in our community and really one of the first in Kentucky as well. And so we've got a beautiful 30 acre park. Um, at the park, we have a, an adventure playground. We have a one mile walking trail and we have a dog park, the first dog park in Winchester as well. And so that's what the physical features of the park are. Um, but then we also provide, Legacy Greenscapes provides all of the programs that happen at the park. And we've had our first full year, our first full summer of programming at the park. So this is a big deal for us this year to talk to you and to um, share with you what we've done in terms of programs, we've been able to host a full summer. So the impact of parks uh, over these past two years during the pandemic has been huge to um, keep people happy and healthy and safe in the outdoor space. So we can, I could, would love to share with you more programs. If you're interested in that, we can do that. Yes, I would love that. Okay, great. Well, we started out last year, our first program at the park was um, an Earth Day celebration. It was the first in our community, large community-wide celebration of Earth Day. Um, we had quite a few uh, uh, organizations join us for that. We had live music for the first time at the park, and we had lots of kids and families um, at the park for Earth Day. And then we uh, started our environmental education program at the park. It's called Wild Wonders, and we hosted it weekly. And that is really the foundation of our mission and vision at the park is to provide the type of uh, environmental education, cultural education, and really community gatherings at the park through all of our programs. That program, the Wild Wonders program, attracted kids and families. Um, we had an AmeriCorps member who provided that programming and it was fantastic and widely attended. We had such great attendance. And then we wrapped up our summer programming with the longest day of play in July. And that was a full day event with all kinds of things. And then 
that program and for that event, we focus more on family fitness and family um, gatherings. And so, like I said, the real goal of Legacy Greenscape is to be an inclusive, equitable space, green space for all members of our community. So that was great. And you told us a lot about your vision and your values and your programming. It sounds like you know, you're a young organization. It sounds like you're already getting your feet off the ground, doing a lot of cool stuff. But I want to know about the ins and outs of what it's like at Legacy Greenscapes or Legacy Grove Park. So tell me a little bit about the day-to-day operations and why they are so important to the community of Winchester. Like you said, it's the first of a lot of things for little old Winchester. That's where I'm from, so I can say that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, You know, I think our goal at the park is to make sure that that is a beautiful, clean, and safe space every day. And that takes quite a bit. Um, It's 30 acres that we look at in detail every single day. Um, You know, if anything's out of place, if anything's broken, if there's trash, we want to fix it immediately. And so if you think about doing that in uh, over a 30 acre space, that's quite a challenge. So we talk about having a walking trail, for example, the real, the real, um, inspiration when you're out there is to see how many people come out to that walking trail dedicated on a daily basis. And I get a lot of feedback from them. And the feedback we're getting is that they appreciate that there's so much attention um, given to the park, that there's always, it's always green and beautiful, that there's never trash, that they feel safe there, that their children feel safe there. That's really, when it comes down to um, what we really do want to represent in the community is that's it. Yeah, so the whole point of the Do Good Radio Hour is to tell stories of the good that's happening and in a world where it's sometimes easy to see the hardship happening around us, you know, we want to share the good because it's prevalent too. And it sounds like you see that a lot on a day-to-day basis in this park. And I enjoy going to parks. I frequent them often and it's always one of the highlights of my day. So can you share with us a story from your time at the organization that has been particularly rewarding for you to see or experience? We've got quite a few, actually. Um, one of the, the most amazing things about the park is that it is an accessible inclusive place for children and individuals of all abilities. Just yesterday um, on our social media, we had a friend who we, uh, his name is Lincoln. He has spina bifida and he's a young boy that we've been able to see um, really grow over the past year. Um, We were able to see some pictures of him at the park yesterday. And one of the things that's really important is Lincoln walks with, he has a walker to assist him. He's making lots of improvements, but the park is one place where he can do all the things he wants to do without any assistance in terms of having to be helped in a lot of ways. So it's given him an independence and a confidence, um, a love and a passion for the outdoors because he can do it all himself. He's he's like our favorite little guy there. We have a couple of others. We actually have some people who are on the other end of the spectrum of, of life in terms of being older adults who find our walking trail, which is ADA, fully ADA accessible. They're out with walkers themselves and they're out with canes themselves. And it's really an inspiration to see them out walking on our trails and walking on that path with those same needs in terms of abilities, 
but with also the same level of independence. And I think at either end of our life, stages of life, we want to feel that we can do things ourselves, and that we're, we're able, we're capable, we're successful. And for both Lincoln and for some of our older walkers, I feel like the park gives them the opportunity to do that. That leads me right into my next question, which is about the Good Giving Challenge. And it's all about showcasing organizations that meet those needs and fill those gaps and build bridges and nonprofits who are doing the work behind the scenes that is really making a difference. So what are you hoping to see with the Good Giving Challenge this year? I know, I think last year was your first year, is that right? And this would be your second year, maybe your third, I'm not sure. But we want to know what you were hoping to see with this year and why people should give to you. So our goal this year is obviously to raise more money. Um, our plans for next summer are to increase the programs that I've already talked to you about. We're going to double our environmental education offerings and host a series of events, not only those that I already mentioned, but we're planning on a music and food event on a monthly basis. And so everything given to us this year um, We'll support those programs. So everything given, if you think about it, I'm going to give you know $20 to Legacy Greenscapes this year. And what that's going to do is bring our small little Winchester community together um, next summer in ways that will um, you know, kind of bring us together, especially after the pandemic where we've all felt a little bit more isolated than normal. We are planning at Legacy Greenscapes um, to create experiences where people can start to feel like a community again. And that's really important to us. We host with a bunch of partners from the health department to 4-H extension. They're all there at the park supporting our efforts and we support them in return. And so that's that's really, you know, why give um, to Legacy Greenscapes and Legacy Grove Park? It's because we plan to keep this space um, clean and beautiful and and welcoming for everyone forever and we need your support to do that and um, that's what's important to us we know that that's important to the community and the community has clearly spoken in their giving over the past year and so that's you know that's where we're moving and we hope that the community wants to move that direction with us as we're rounding the end of the interview here, I know we only have a short time, so I want to make sure that you say everything you want to say about your awesome organization. Is there anything you wish more people knew about Legacy Greenscapes or anything that I didn't ask you that you want to say, your last opportunity to say something? You know, I see I see a lot of probably the pe people who are listening. I see them every day out at the park. I, I really... Um, appreciate the support that the community has given us and what i would like to challenge everybody to do if you have been to legacy grove park or if you haven't been to legacy grove park i'd love for you to take a walk to the back of the park um, so many people who come to the park don't realize that we do extend beyond the adventure playground there's actually three times as much park beyond the adventure playground. And I think that's one of the important things to know about the park. It was designed so that there are multiple opportunities and multiple reasons to stay and enjoy it. So if you have children, you're going to come to the adventure playground and play all day. But you know what you could also do as a parent is you could walk around the walking trail that, that encircles the adventure playground 
and bring your dog and you can go visit the dog park. So a key to a good successful park and green space is to have more than one reason for people to visit. And I think Legacy Greenscapes has done a really good job at Legacy Grove Park of providing those opportunities. Shout out where people can find out more about you and how they can get involved, your website, social media, anything like that. Right. We are, you can find us at LegacyGreenscapes.org. That's our website. And we're also on Facebook at Legacy Grove Park. Deborah, thank you for sharing your story about Legacy Greenscapes and Legacy Grove Park. There's so much awesome stuff going on. So we hope all of our listeners go check you out and hopefully give you a visit, even though it's getting colder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are still open. And, you know, on warm days, there are still a lot of people there. Yesterday, the park was full of kids and they're really troopers to get out there while it stays. Um, the, the temperatures are a little bit warmer um, and I appreciate it. And good luck to everybody, all of the nonprofits, especially those in Clark County um, over the Good Giving Challenge. Helping children persevere. That's what the Foster Care Council does. And Lindy Hester, Director of Business Development is here to share with us about what that entails. So hello, Lindy, and welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, we're excited to learn more about you. This is your first year in the Good Giving Challenge, so invite us into the mission of the Foster Care Council and the why, so to speak, behind what you do. Well, the Foster Care Council was actually started in 2012. We're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, so we're really kind of excited about that. And the reason that it was started was because our executive director, Cassie Sloan, um, she saw a need in the foster care system. Kids were um, being, you know, they're typically moved from home to home several times and their grades really start to suffer because they can't focus. I mean, obviously you can think about all the different, just the mental stress and everything that goes on in their lives during those trying times that they start to fall behind. And most of them, most of them are testing two to three grade levels below where they should be. She thought that there was a need to um, provide individualized tutoring away from their peers so that they were free to ask the questions that they might be embarrassed to ask in front of their peers. And so she started a program, which was basically kind of our flagship program, so to speak, where um, education was the focus and we were providing tutoring. We pre-test tutor for six months post-test to get the child back on grade level. The tutors either go into the homes or they go and they'll meet after school, like in the library or something like that, you know. So that's how it all started. And then as things progressed, um, she had requests for um, funding for en um, enrichment activities. The stipend that the state gives the foster families is most of the time not nearly enough. I mean, if, and if you, any of the people out there that have children that are listening to this know how expensive it is for a child to play a sport, for them to go to summer camp, for them to take lessons, to learn how to play the piano, so on and so forth. So we were able, through grants and through community support, to be able to also add that as a program. So we have the educational advancement program, the enrichment active, um, the enrichment program, and then the third thing that we started in 2018 you can't see i'm sitting right here but we have it's called studio thrifty for the kids and it's like a um it looks like a retail space and everything is donated and foster families come in and bring their children and they can shop for free um it's just the most rewarding thing to see their little faces light up and then we have recently started a mentoring program that we are um, we have a couple of um 
young um, people who have aged out but recommitted to the system, to the program, the um, foster care program, and they are in independent living and we are helping them with life skills and we are part we are partnering them with a volunteer mentor and so that's another thing that's on the kind of has recently been started so that's the long-winded explanation of what we do but um, we are the only um, organization in the state that is is doing all those things under one umbrella i mean there are other there are other foster um Nonprofits that work with foster families, but we are doing all those things under the same umbrella of, of the foster care council. So you obviously are doing so much and offering so many different services and programs, which is so awesome. I'm just curious, do you have a building or right? Yes. Okay. So we are our store, we we call it the store, the shop, or the studio. We call it all these different things, kind of funny. But um it is set up like a retail space, but we have um offices that are attached to the store. So yes, there is definitely a brick and mortar, but that's where we run everything out of. We have a work, we have a work room where we're able to receive the clothing that's donated, go through them, make sure that we keep the things that are the best quality that, so when the children come in here to shop, they do not feel like that they are in goodwill. They feel like they literally have gone to a shop at the mall. I mean, it's, it's, it's disco theme. We have a disco ball. And um, anyway, it's just really, really just a cool space. Yeah, and you all are meeting a need for such a such an important need for a group of people that really need it, you know. And why would you oh, consider yeah. your organization an asset to the community? Well, because I feel like the difference that we are making, that's one of our hashtags is make a difference. Our other one is foster hope. And I feel like that we are doing just that. We are fostering hope and making a difference in these children's lives, both tangible, you know, things that are tangible that people can see, touch, and feel. Um, you know, they're we've had um one of our gals that went through the tutoring program, she's graduated. She she ended up going on to Pikeville or U Pike in Pikeville on a scholarship. She's graduated. She is now coming back full circle, going to be a tutor for some of the foster kids in the program. So to be able to see something like that take place and literally come full circle and know that there are other um, young, thriving kids in the program that are kind of on track to do the same thing just such an exciting thing to see and to be able to provide the resources that we provide these kids um, through the help of our community. It's just so it's definitely a need that people don't necessarily think about, but it's definitely needed. And I love this idea. I was kind of going through your website earlier just to get a feel for what you all do. And I saw on there that you love helping children become strong adults. And I mm -hmm. love the concept of that. Like you're really investing in, these children long-term and making a better future for our community. You're making a long-lasting impression. So can you describe, this is probably difficult, but can you describe a story to us, you know, from your time at the organization that has really been particularly rewarding for you? I, I don't know that I can narrow it down to one because there have been so many, but I think one of our favorite things um, with the, with the um, enrichment program and the educational advancement program, these are things, as I said, that are just, just desperately needed but it's not necessarily something that we get to see on a daily basis and what's really really cool when we're here at the studio the kids come in to shop and i think over and over and over they come in and their countenance just changes when they walk through the door and they go from being maybe a little bit scared and shy 
to just lighting up and then they start trying on clothes and they come out of the dressing room and we're like oh my gosh you look so cute and it's literally like they're growing taller and they're just it's just the coolest thing to witness and um we're just to me that's just happened over and over and over again and i think those for for us that's some of the probably coolest things to see because you really can see that you are making a difference right there in front of your eyes so Sometimes the most magical moments are in the most simple moments, you know, and absolutely when mm -hmm. you're here and you're like, you look amazing. And you see their smile and you realize in that moment, wow, I'm making, you know, this is making a difference. Yeah. We had a teenage girl. She was, um, she was actually one that, uh, we're working, I think going to be working with in our mentor program. She is now in independent living and she came in and seemed a little bit kind of just defeated a little bit. I'm telling you what, before she walked out of here, she had a whole new wardrobe and she was just like, literally she was standing up taller. I don't, it was just, I just love it. I can't, I can't say enough about it. So cool. That. So obviously the purpose of us talking today is because the good giving challenge is very close. It's a perfect way for organizations to share with the public at large, the work that they do and why it's important. So I'm going to ask you exactly that. Can you tell our listeners why they should give to you during the good giving challenge? Well, obviously all of these things that I've just described and talked about, they take money and we do have, you know, we're, we're, we do fundraise and we have grants that are written and we have, um, you know, support from the community to an extent. But I think ultimately our goal, because of the way our nonprofit is structured, we are in a position to be able to help children anywhere in the state. And we would love to be able to continue to expand and grow our reach out into the state, but that obviously is going to take money and um you know and not only do we need financial help but we need help just people just spreading the word and knowing more about what we do because we we also have a lot of people come in here the foster families that come in they're like oh my gosh we didn't even know you guys were here and so those types of things are why we wanted to be involved with the good giving challenge was, was number one to fundraise and number two to friend raise and so that's kind of where we're at in that position and we feel like that what we are doing is a um just is so desperately needed and such a service that is overlooked and um, we just hope people will take a look at what we're doing and realize how important it actually is like you said earlier it, you know to help develop the children that are coming up so that our community continues to be a great community to live in and be in because the people have you know come alongside these kids and supported them and now they're thriving uh, adults that are making a difference in their communities as well so mm -hmm. I love that and you know I want to make sure that you say everything you want to say and paint the picture you want to paint so last question here is mm -hmm. just is there any last thing that you would like to tell people about the organization maybe something I didn't ask you that you want people to know well I'm not sure if it's appropriate for us to talk about any sort of fundraising things that we have going on but we do have things if you would check out our website thefostercarecouncil.com um, we're very active on social media. We're active on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, follow us there and keep up with what we're doing. We also can add you to our email list if you'd like. You can sign up for that by just simply going to our website just to see all the different things that we have going on to continue to try to help, you know, raise funds and raise friends in order to support the kids that we support. So I guess that's what that, that kind of be what I would say is just get to know us and what we do. And I think you'll be pleasantly, not surprised, but just encouraged by, you know, how much we are able to help these kids and what a difference it makes in their life. 
I hope all of our listeners do just what you said. Go check you out, get involved, join your email list. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're doing amazing things. Very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for the amazing work that you were doing and for, like I said earlier, helping our children become strong adults and making a better community as a whole. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this for us and let us give us a voice and a platform. The Do Good Radio Hour would like to welcome Kimberly Velasco, the Executive Director, and Debbie Harden, caseworker from the Family Services Association of Boyle County, and they are here to share their story with us, and we are super excited. So welcome to the show, everyone. I love having two people on. Seems like a party. It's good to be here. All of us would like to know more about the mission that drives what you do, so please tell us more about that. So Family Services um, Association of Bull County has been around since 1916, so about 105 years. <laughs> and our mission um, is now to provide short-term financial assistance to low-income individuals um, who live in Bull County and are experiencing a temporary financial emergency. We help them identify other programs and services that can contribute to their long-term financial stability. Uh, we also offer case management, employability workshops, and money management classes. And we've we've been around, like I said, 100 years, over 100 years. Uh, so it feels really good to be part of this little nice agency that has, it, we make a difference in the community. Yeah, it seems like 1916, you're a very established organization, which is great because you have a lot of trust in your community. People trust you because you've been around for so long. And so that's really awesome. Can you go more into how this mission that you just described comes to life through your programming? Yeah. So um, our main, main, main program is our uh, emergency financial assistance, where we usually just, uh, we assist clients who uh, are in a crisis, have a disconnection notice for their electric or their water or their gas have an eviction notice for the for the rent and that's when we we step in and um we help them with those alleviate those crisis that crisis a little bit um and then once we see that they've been with us more than four times we try to encourage case management we invite them to our classes our money management or employability workshops we do have funding for senior citizens those over 65 that allows us to be a little more flexible and we can do more to assist them. So the services you offer are obviously important, but in an overall sense, you know, why is this organization important to the community? We can assist where other government agencies agencies cannot. We help filling the gap. Uh, like Debbie said, uh, we don't get federal funding like other agencies may. So whenever, when I say they, the other other agencies that get those federal funding don't, uh, their, their programs and for, you know, sometimes they'll have them for certain times. Uh, that's when we fill in the gap and we jump in and help those clients that they can't help. We go by the net income and not the gross income. So that, that leaves a little bit of flexibility. We help, we, we have helped create other programs. Um, for example, I know last year, um, we helped get a housing grant for another agency. So that helped our community with housing and emergency housing. During COVID, we were able to change our guidelines to change 
how much we were able to help with at a time, like raise our, our benefit amount as other agencies need, had to wait for those funding, funding for that funding to come down uh, and make those changes that we made very quickly. So that's, that's what Debbie means when, when she says that we're unique. Uh, we're able to, to shift when we need to. We're also the clearinghouse for several churches in the county. People come knocking on purchase doors often, as anybody can imagine, and uh, they come to us to make sure, you know, if we can help or if we can't, then if they can. Yeah, it sounds like you all are very, like I said before, established and trusted in your community, which is so important. So this next portion of the interview I love, people love stories, right? I think we all love stories because they are what show how your mission is in motion and a direct example of the power of what you do. And so would you mind sharing a story with us from your time at Family Services Association of Boyle County? That's a, that's a long mouthful. <laughs> I always say when I get this question asked, you know, a, a story, I always feel like every person that comes in is just a success. Uh, because we've prevented them from getting, you know, disconnected or evicted. But so, yeah. But for a more specific story, um, during COVID, I had a nurse who was, uh, who had to stop working because of childcare. And so her, uh, her income was low and she had four children in the home um, and she was facing to get evicted, um, she was three months behind on her rent. And so uh, this nurse, she had never been here to us before prior to uh, COVID. Uh, and she has not been back since then. And so that is our goal. Our goal is to help those individuals who are facing a temporary crisis. And, um, and I think that she represents that that she just needed help that one time. She got back on her feet, she went back to work. That is our success. Uh, that's our goal to, to just be here for that temporary crisis. Some of the things that we do with other agencies and churches are I think also rewarding. Um, we work with home health agencies in connection with some of our elderly or disabled clients. Uh, but right now, there's a church that does uh, holiday food boxes for up to 22 families. And we provide them with the names, the numbers, the addresses. And we confirm that they have, uh, that they want the box and they can use it. So obviously, we are getting very, very close to the Good Giving Challenge which is yeah. very crazy that it's already here again. But as a participating nonprofit, what have you seen to be the benefit of the Good Giving Challenge? And then also in turn, why should our listeners get involved and give to you all? Um, the Good Giving Challenge is our biggest fundraiser. We're grateful for the support of the non-way the city and county governments. Those funds have been cut this year. At a time when the gas bills are 180% increase, the past two years has had an effect on most of us, especially the people that we serve. I think they have been hit the hardest and have the least amount of tools to work through any financial crisis. To round up the interview here, I just want to give you all an opportunity to say anything 
you haven't said yet about your organization. So give the listeners one last glimpse into your organization and why you're so great. If you know of anyone that lives in Bull County uh, and is in danger of being evicted or having their utilities disconnected, please have them call us. Please have them reach out to us. If we can't help them, we'll find someone that can or may be able to. We may be able to help them with more than just utilities. We may be able to help them with medical equipment, prescriptions, heaters uh, for their house, for their homes. Yeah, that's really what I want everyone to know that we're here to help uh, in a crisis. So please have them come to us. And if you live in Bull County, you probably know someone who needs assistance. Very, very last thing, shout out. I want everyone to make sure that they can find you and get involved and get the services they need. So shout out your website, your social media, anything like that so people can find you. Our website is fsabullcounty.org. Uh, and our Facebook page is Family Services Association of Bull County. And it's a little, it's a little tree. Our pictures of a little tree, community house with a tree on it. So you'll be able to find us. Well, great. Thank you, Debbie and Kimberly, for helping your community be a better place, first of all, and then for sharing with us today. We really appreciate it. Everyone go check them out. Gleanings Housing is closing the gap and developing affordable housing for all. And I'm here with Laura Slaughter, the Executive Director and President. Hey, Laura. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing good, and I can't wait to hear more about Gleanings and your mission. So tell us more about it. Well, uh, Gleaning's mission is to um, build, develop, and sustain affordable rental housing here in Lexington. Uh, we recognized um, the significant need for rental housing that is affordable for those households that are living at 60% of the median income or lower. Uh, that's actually a pretty significant part of our population. I think it covers almost... 23% uh, of the people living in Lexington are actually uh, living at that 50% or below. Maybe it's 28%. It's a large percentage of our population is struggling uh, just to meet their basic needs. Gleaningshausen um, came out of um, a dinner church experience. So we were meeting at the Lyric Theater uh, downtown, having what we call a community dinner and then a worship experience. And out of that community dinner, several people uh, kind of gathered together. Most of our board members, or at least half of our board members, came out of that community dinner, um, recognizing the need for uh, affordable housing. We were meeting people, one of our board members in particular, who was homeless at the time. Although she was uh, had an income, she could not afford the place that she was living. And so she was actually at the Salvation Army uh, trying to uh, access some of the avail available funds through the government, uh, a housing voucher. And, and she was actually one of the lucky ones. I don't know, in the US, there's only 3 million housing vouchers approximately, but there are 18.5 million households that qualify. So, I mean, there's a significant gap right there. We uh, kind of got together and we go, I mean, we're feeling this need. There are people who are, have income, who are living in their cars, 
who are living in substandard housing that are moving from place to place that are actually out on the streets because they don't have a place they can afford. They are choosing to not eat and have a place or they're choosing to pay for a car insurance, pay for medication, medication, but they don't have a place to stay. We felt the gap and we wanted to fill it. Now, none of us have construction experience. So this is a huge learning curve. And our real idea was we thought we could create an avenue for just the average person to join with us financially, uh, join with us with their um, labor, their uh, efforts to together we can create a way of building that affordable housing. So we're building a community to support it. Just the average person uh, who can give a little with all of us gathered together, then we also then can build the housing itself. I want you to actually go more into what you offer. I don't know where you're located, if you um, can tell us that, your building, your programming, all that kind of stuff. So we are, our goal is to create uh, affordable housing in scattered sites around Lexington. So it's going to be single homes, duplexes, triplexes, small apartment complexes. We want to keep it small. We want to be able to have it in areas. Uh, people have access to more of the resources, um, you know, have cl par closer to parks, closer to grocery shopping, closer to all of that, because many of the people that we are going to be serving don't necessarily have uh, transportation or it's not necessarily always reliable. Um, so we want to put it all around Lexington. Eventually, we want to do it in all of central Kentucky because the need is great all over. Um, but we're starting here in Lexington. And uh, our first property that we're building right now is a triplex on McGoffin Street. Along with this, we recognize that some of this is like our, like Carol, who is on our board, it was connecting with other resources. So part of what we're also offering is um, case management services. So housing at 30% of the household income, that's the rent, and then access to uh, assistance and case management services to help connect to other resources that people might need. Um, assistance with just you know budgeting because we want to make sure that people can get in a home and stay in the home because stable housing also allows people to prosper and it helps them to create relationships in their community relationships with neighbors but relationships also with other services doctors um, educators staying in the same um, school district children who are unstable in housing or their families are unstable in housing tend to move from school to school to school and so they're not building that relationship that allows them to truly grow and be effective and learn so if we can help families stay in one space stay in that stable housing then their children are also going to flourish describe the process so do you build all of your houses is that is that what you're saying the goal is, yes, to develop housing, whether it's uh, from the ground up, new construction or rehabbing um, properties. Both are, both are in the plan. So that's what we're, our goal is. Our goal is to develop a community of people who from the grassroots are helping to fund 
housing. Affordable housing presently is mostly funded through the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, which is a program through the federal government. What happens with the tax credit is that businesses, large corporations, offer money in order to get the tax credit. And so they, they create a partnership with a developer and the developer in this large corporation then find funding from the corporation, funding from uh, affordable housing trust you know, funds, you know, grant money that way to build large apartment buildings. You know, so these are $3 million, $4 million, $10 million construction projects which are of great. I mean, I'm not knocking them. Those are wonderful things. However, those apartment complexes that are built through the affordable housing tax credit program often are not affordable for the people that we're trying to serve. They're affordable at 80% of the median income. So they have um, a rent that's like 700. It's, you know, a little bit lower than what would be fair market value. But for somebody who's earning $9 an hour or $12 an hour, it still is 50, 60, 70% of their income, depending. If somebody's on social security disability, you know, and their income is only $1,100 a month, $900 a month. If your rent is $650 a month, I mean, that's still 75% of your income goes straight to rent. And it's the old saying of rent eats first. It's the rent's the first thing that comes to the table. And usually that means not a lot's left, which is why people are often choosing between I get to eat or I get to have a place to live. You know, it's obvious that you're very passionate about the work that you do and you're very knowledgeable on it. So I didn't know if you would mind telling us a story throughout your time at the organization that particularly made a difference in you. We worked with a woman who was only earning $9 an hour and her son had been having some significant problems. So he had ended up being in the custody of the cabinet and she was working really hard to get him back. And she was at this place where she could get him back if she could find a place that she could afford to live. And there was the struggle. How do you work a $9 an hour job and pay for a housing and then be able to have a car in which, because he was not in the same town. He was, he was living in another town. So she needed transportation. She needed to be able to then also provide food. It became a pretty significant. So we were able to provide housing so that she could be reunited with her son. I think that's pretty significant. But I'm going to tell you a better one. What was really amazing is watching somebody who is on Social Security disability, who was just in that survival mode. They were, they were essentially living just to eat, living just to find a place to stay. And we helped them find a place that they could afford uh, on their income of $900 a month. But they felt so secure that they were out of that survival mode and they began to volunteer somewhere else. They couldn't work. They did have some pretty significant disability, but they started to participate in life in a very different way. They started to live. And you would have seen the smile on Matt's face when he was able to say, I'm giving back. I'm not just taking. I'm getting to really be a part of something bigger than me because I'm not just worried about how do I survive. 
that's a miracle, if you want my opinion. So I guess the whole purpose of us talking today is we are preparing for the 2021 Good Giving Challenge. So in your opinion, you know, just to kind of close off everything here, why is the Good Giving Challenge an asset to our community? And then in turn, why should people give to you? Okay, the asset of giving to us and to being part, a participant in the Good Giving. I think we in Lexington and Central Kentucky, we want to have communities that prosper. We want communities where everybody is thriving. Now, if I want to, I want to read something to you. Yeah. A prosperous community is one where there is a job market in which there is, uh, that is growing, low unemployment, and incomes that are relatively high. Relatively means, you know, they have expendable income in which they can support themselves with extra things and that the income is evenly distributed and it's where people are well-educated. So a prosperous community involves people who are able to participate in all things. They're equally able to access the resources. They're able to grow. There's a stability and there's sustainability. We're not gonna get a prosperous community in Lexington, in Nicholasville, in Central Kentucky without those that have sharing with those that don't have as much. What you just said is basically kind of the underlying tune, so to speak, of the Good Giving Challenges, coming together and rallying together to help create a prosperous community. And what's so awesome is all of these nonprofits that are participating are such an integral part of making that happen. And, you know, people need to go out and donate during the Good Giving Challenge. <laughs> Final thing before we go, I just want to make sure that you say everything you want to say and leave the message that you want to convey. So if you have any final words to leave our listeners with about Greenings Housing. Well, I'd like to actually invite you all to join us. I'd love for you to um, check us out on the web, uh, gleaningshousing.org. Check us out on the Facebook. We are building a triplex right now. It is a $200,000 project. It's taking not just money, we also need volunteer help. We are cutting the cost of the build, which allows us to keep the property affordable because we have people who are volunteering their time, their resources. We're gonna help three families with this triplex and we're gonna help the community with this triplex. So come join us. All right, everyone, that is it. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.